The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Shouted from the rooftops, Israel shall be saved. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, you're going to be edified. You're going to be encouraged today. Your faith will be raised. I proclaim to you, based on the word of God, Israel shall be saved. This is Michael Brown. Welcome to the Thoroughly Jewish Thursday edition of The Line of Fire. Here's the number to call with any Jewish-related questions. So if it's Hebrew-related, Judaism-related, related to the state of Israel today, Messianic prophecy, Jewish background to the New Testament. As long as it's Jewish-related, phone lines are open, 866-348-7884. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Bottom of the hour, we've got some sobering news. I'm going to speak with Dexter Van Zyl about the rising tide of anti-Semitism in America, including acts of violence, and something he was recently subjected to at a rally uh, going to talk about that. But first, let me encourage you. Israel shall be saved. So it is written. Back in 1984, I was attending some meetings in Oklahoma and heard a German evangelist who at that time was in his early 40s preaching powerfully, some of the most powerful messages I had heard. And he proclaimed that Africa would be saved, that from Cape Town to Cairo, there would be a blood-washed Africa. So from the south to the north, there would be a blood-washed Africa, meaning that there would be mass turning of, of Africans to Jesus. And he shared his own story. He shared how he had been called as a missionary to Africa as a boy in Germany. And, and he shared how in Africa, he was serving on the mission field and seeing very little fruit. He was in the small country of Lesotho, and he was preaching there and seeing very little response to his message. And he had just finished preaching in a little hut with five people, preached the gospel, gave the invitation. No one, no one, five out of five, no one responded. He went back to his room later that day and had a dream. And in the dream, he saw the map of Africa. He saw it washed in the blood of Jesus from Cape Town in the south to Cairo in the north. And heard a voice proclaiming, Africa shall be saved. He woke up very excited the next morning, but then thought, mm, just something I ate, just a dream. But he had the dream four straight nights. And after that, everywhere he went, he would tell people, have you heard? Africa shall be saved. Well, over these decades, not just through Bonke's ministry, which is now led by a dear colleague, Daniel Kalenda, as Reinhardt is, is with the Lord and turned the ministry over to Daniel some years earlier. But through a multitude of African workers and other missionaries and other evangelists, there's been a, a massive shift. It's been happening for decades, but multiplied tens of millions of Africans coming to faith. I mean, it's numbering now on hundreds of millions across the continent that have come to faith. It is a dramatic shift from 100 years ago. And, and obviously, there are Muslim strongholds and animistic tribal strongholds and, 
and strongholds, there's non-belief. And obviously there's a great mixture with so many being saved. There's false doctrine in different places, etc. But there's, there's been a massive shift. If we saw a shift like that in America, it would be far greater than First Great Awakening or Second Great Awakening. I, I mean, you're talking about something cataclysmic in church history. Uh, just r- remarkable to see the number of people who've come to faith. As he was preaching and speaking that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The Holy Spirit spoke to me through the Word of God, reminding me, yes, that's a word from the Lord to Reinhard Bonnke about massive conversion in Africa, but how much more certain is what is written in Scripture? Israel shall be saved. Israel shall be saved. I'm convinced, I'm sure, at the end of this age, there will be a massive national turning. Now, I can't tell you the numbers. I can't tell you at the end of the age, the, the remnant of Jewish people that remains or the remnant of world population that remains or the abundance of population. God knows those details. I, I'm not saying every Jew on the planet, but I'm saying there will be a massive national turn. Jeremiah 31, when at that time, God says he'll be the God of all the families of Israel. Zechariah 12, 10, massive repentance of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Acts 3, Jewish repentance brings the Messiah back. And look at what Paul wrote in Romans, the 11th chapter. Romans 11, beginning verse 25, for I do not want you brothers and sisters to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own eyes. What's the mystery? That a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does a partial hardening mean? It's not the whole nation, because there's always a remnant of Jews that believe in every generation, like Paul then, or like me and many others now. And it's not for all time. The hardening will be removed at the end. And in this way, or and so, so on the heels of the Gentiles, fullness of the Gentiles coming in, or provoked by that, moved by that, in this way, or so, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer shall come out of Zion. He shall turn ungodliness away from Jacob. This is not, this is not the church, this is new Israel. This is talking about the Jewish people. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. It's a future thing that will happen. Concerning the good news, they are hostile for your sake. But who? The Jewish people who don't believe. But concerning chosenness, they, those same people, are loved on account of the fathers. Why? For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Praise God. What God said he's going to do. Let me show you a picture. I want to put this on the screen for those who are watching. I want to put this picture up for you. It is my book, The Real Kosher Jesus, which is now available in Hebrew in Israel. And we are working with Jewish believers. And I'm going to translate the title for you in, in a moment, exactly what it says. But we're working with Jewish believers there to get it into the hands of Jews who don't believe. And I believe God is going to use this to open the eyes of secular Jews and religious Jews to Jesus the Messiah. So the Hebrew, Yeshua HaKasher, Echad Mishalano. So it's Yeshua, the, the kosher, and it's spelled, most Israelis just know him as Yeshu. So it's got in parentheses Yeshua, so they, now they get the full name. Echad Mishalanu, one of us. And then in Hebrew at the bottom, revealing the secrets of the hidden Messiah, HaMashiach HaNistar. Now, let me tell you the origins of that book. My friend, Rabbi Shmuley Boteach, was working on a book for years called Coaster Jesus. And he was going to say Jesus was not a false Messiah, but a failed Messiah. He hate the Romans. He tried to, to 
to lead a revolt against Rome. He was hoping with his little band of disciples that the multitudes would rise up and stand with him. It didn't happen. Rome killed him, but he was a patriot and a hero. We should look at his good teaching, but but take away what Paul wrote, making him into a deity, and take away all the other things that the New Testament author said and just try to get to his core teachings that we have here and there in the New Testament, etc. Let's kind of recreate who Jesus was, but embrace him as Jews, not as a as a Messiah, but as a failed Jewish leader who was a hero and a patriot. So he wrote the book, asked me to endorse it. And I said, well, how can I endorse it when I disagree? And then I said, all right, how about this endorsement? You know, while strongly rejecting his reconstruction of the New Testament and, and differing with him on who Jesus is, I, I, I take this as a good step that an Orthodox Jewish rabbi recognizes Jesus as a fellow religious Jew or Orthodox Jew, etc. So Anyway, I said, step in the right direction. He liked the endorsement. The book was going to come out. We were going to do a debate uh, about the subject. And I was in prayer late one night. And it, I had my computer open. I was kneeling by bedside. I was in prayer. And I just felt, shut the computer. Shut. Just get on your face. It's like 2.30 in the morning. I'm a late night person. Just get on your face and pray. And as I began to pray, I got this tremendous burden. This deeper, no, 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 you have to write something in response to Shmuley. You have to write something. I thought, okay, I'll write like a lengthy review of his book. I'll give the history of our debates, our relationship, the whole bit. That's what I'll do. The next morning I woke up, oh, no, it's all over me. Write your own book. He wrote The Real Coach for Jesus. Write your, he wrote Coach for Jesus. Write a response. Well, I knew immediately what to do. I contacted a publisher friend, and he said, let's get it out quickly. And anyway, from the day I started writing it, to the day it was on my desk in hardcover was less than 10 weeks. I wrote it in three intensive weeks. I remember the, the last day of editing because the publisher said, okay, in order to get this out this quickly, we believe it's a God thing. We're going to do it. That means we've got to throw other schedules to make it happen, but we're going to do it. You must have the final notes edit because I said, I'm going to send you the book first, and then you uh, work on that. I will then add in the end notes, okay? So that's what I began to do. And... Remember, the, they said, look, when we say we need it Friday, all the edited end notes, we mean Friday morning because Friday to me is by midnight, you know. No, we need it in the morning. So remember, I got home from radio and 4.30 in the afternoon, I started working on f uh, finishing in the rest of the end notes to the book. I remember I finished basically 4 in the morning. So it was just, just about 12 straight hours of doing that. Got it in to them. They did a great job on it. Got the book out. And I remember as I was writing, I felt like God was carrying me. It was one of the most amazing, unique, glorious writing experiences I ever had. I felt like I was on a discovery, like, whoa, what's God going to open up through the Word? Or, or things I knew in the past coming back to memory and, and opening up new things with it. It was just this, this journey. It was an incredible experience writing the book. And, and we've gotten great testimonies of people who've come to faith through the book or been strengthened in their faith through the book or doors of, of interaction that the book has opened up. And it's now available in Hebrew. Hey, let's put that picture back up on the screen for everyone watching. Would you pray with me, friends? Would you pray with me that God will use the real kosher Jesus in Hebrew? Yeshua HaKasher, Echad Mishelanu, one of us, that God will use this to save many, many Jewish people. Would you believe God with us? Would you pray for eyes to be opened, for miracles to happen? Would you pray for the book to get into all kinds of hands, even chief rabbis and ultra-Orthodox Jews and members of the Knesset and 
your average secular Israeli that's into new age, whatever kind of superstitious belief. Let's just believe that God will get the book out into all kinds of different places, professors and others, and that God would use it to open hearts and minds. I was away at a prayer retreat this past weekend and had a very sacred, deep encounter with God in prayer, during which he reminded me of his promise that all Israel will be saved. He reminded me of it, and, and I felt reassured that he is going to reveal the suffering Messiah to millions of Jewish people. Believe God with me. Shout it out for the world to hear with me. Israel shall be saved. All Israel shall be saved. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yes, friends, I believe some of these very men, if not those same men, men in their community, their kids, their grandkids, are going to be among those all Israel who shall be saved. These ultra-Orthodox Jews, some of them so tremendously devoted, some of them living lives that would put the lives of many Christians to shame in terms of levels of devotion and, and trying to honor God even in the smallest areas of life and being God-fearing and yet fallen human beings in need of redemption. I believe many of them, God will reveal the suffering Messiah to them. Their eyes will be open to Yeshua, no, they're not going to go out and buy a Christmas tree, shave their beards, put on a cross. That's not the goal. <clears throat> the goal is to introduce them to the real Messiah. The goal is to introduce them to the one who suffered and died for their sins and rose from the dead, the one and only true Messiah. 866-34-TRUTH. Welcome to our thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Hey, I just want to make a quick appeal, then we're going to go to the phones I'll speak with Dexter Van Zyl in a little while, and then I've got a great testimony to share with you. Really a beautiful testimony I'm going to share with you a little later in the broadcast. But I just want to make a quick appeal. You may have received an email from us today. Otherwise, let me speak broadly to all of you. For whatever reason, it's a common thing that, that people give less during the summer. For whatever reason, it happens to ministries all around America, and it has for many, many years. For whatever reason, vacations, forgetting about things, other priorities. So I just want to ask you, if we've been a blessing to you, if you believe in the work we're doing, if you want to help us keep on the front lines of producing life-changing resources to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, then stand with us with a one-time gift or by becoming a monthly supporter or torchbearer. And we, we pour back into you as a monthly supporter in many, many different ways every single month. It's our way of saying, hey, Thank you for pouring into us. We want to pour back into you. So obviously we make tons of resources available freely, absolutely freely, every way we know how. And by God's grace, we raised the funds for the translation project, which was a major project for the translation project, and then for the physical printing of the books. By God's grace, we raised funds. Some of you helped 
to get real kosher Jesus out in Hebrew so that it can be made available inexpensively within Israel or given out freely. You helped us do that. Your gifts literally are touching people in Israel today. As I speak in many different ways, your gifts are literally touching Jewish lives in Israel today. So stand with us. Go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Click donate. If, if you have our, our app, Ask Dr. Brown on Android or Line of Fire and Apple, you can donate directly there. But a one-time gift or becoming a new monthly supporter, that would really be a blessing and help us through the summer months. AskDrBrown.org. Click on Donate. Thank you in advance for standing with us. If you need to pray with a spouse about a substantial gift, get God's mind. And if that's something that he calls you to do, wonderful. You will get treasure in heaven for sure because of your giving and standing with us. When you stand with the gospel, you can you never outgive God. And eternally, we see the benefits of that. All right, uh, to the phones. We start with an anonymous caller in Columbus, Ohio. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, can you hear me? I can. Hey, uh, so my wife and I, we have been reading through the Bible in a year. Um, and we've had, you know, a couple of questions come up uh, that have kind of stumped me. Um, in terms of the kind of the beginning parts of the Torah, especially in Leviticus, um, I was wondering if you could explain. Uh, oftentimes, it seems like God tells Moses that His statutes will remain for forever, mm-hmm. um, and it seems like those statutes tend to be up to debate a little bit of whether or not we should be inclined to observe, you know, biblical feasts or maybe some other ordinances that he gave. And I I was wondering if you could just explain um, maybe how New Testament believers can justify maybe not having to observe the Sabbath or or not observing the biblical feast. I was wondering if you could point us in the right direction on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Christian scholars sometimes divide the law into moral, ceremonial, and civil, and that's useful you know, that the moral laws for everyone ceremonial was for ancient Israel civil can give us guidelines. It's a useful distinction, but it's one that the Torah doesn't make in itself. So here's the short answer. The short answer is we're not under the Sinai covenant. God gave that as a covenant with lasting ordinances for all generations. When Israel and Judah failed, 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 when the first temple was destroyed, God then said through Jeremiah, I'm going to make a new and better covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So we're not under the Sinai covenant. We're under the new covenant. Hebrews 8 indicates that the, the Sinai covenant then, it's, it's fading. It's ready to pass away. And that happens, of course, with the destruction of the second temple. That's God's emphatic word to that. You say, but didn't Jesus say that he didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets but to fulfill it? Correct. So he's talking about the whole of the Old Testament. He didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. So he brings it to its fullest meaning. Why don't we have blood sacrifices today? I mean, if we're going to do anything, we should have blood sacrifices. Well, one reason is there's not a temple standing, and we can't do it without a temple standing. But more importantly, Jesus the Messiah died for our sins once and for all. We don't need the blood sacrifices. So the the opening seven chapters of Leviticus, what are they all about? Blood sacrifices, blood sacrifices, blood sacrifices. And... That's a massive amount of legislation, and that was for all generations. But we know that with the death of Jesus on the cross, that was brought to its fulfillment. So Jesus lives a perfectly righteous life, lives out the standards of the Torah, and then calls us 
to a higher ethical level, like in the Sermon on the Mount. You heard it said, don't murder. I'm telling you, don't, don't hate. You heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm saying, don't even commit it in your heart. So he takes the moral standards of the Torah to a higher level. He fulfills in his own death, resurrection, and priestly ministry everything having to do with our approach to God. And those things which were just to keep Israel separate from the nations, like dietary laws, etc., he removes that restriction by calling Jew and Gentile to fellowship as one together. This is part of the benefit of the new and better covenant. You say, well, are there certain things we should keep? Anything that is given universally for all in the Old Testament then applies to, to this day. So, for example, the laws against incest or homosexual practice in Leviticus 18, those were for the pagan nations God judged as well as for Israel. So those apply for all people until today. That which is reiterated in the New Testament for Gentile believers as well applies for all. The Sabbath is not. There are even warnings against people putting you under the pressure to keep the Sabbath. Nonetheless, you are free, according to Romans 14, to, to set every day aside the same way to God or one day especially. Um, as for the feast, we, we are living out the prophetic calendar. We, we are living out the full meaning of the, of, of the Passover by looking back not just to the Exodus but to the cross. We are, we are looking forward to the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets with the Messiah returning with the sound of the trumpet, etc. But there's not an obligation to keep all the feasts. So see that which is reinforced for all believers through the Old Testament and then into the New. And those are things we're called to. Are you free to keep the dietary laws if you want? Sure. Are you free to keep the Seventh-day Sabbath if you want? Sure. But it's not a binding thing, and it was never given to the whole world. It was given to Israel under the Sinai Covenant. Hey, check out my book, 60 Questions Christians Ask About Jewish Beliefs and Practices. I think you and your wife will find it super helpful. 60 Questions Christians Ask About Jewish Beliefs and Practices. By the way, I get into this more, but we've, we've answered it many, many a time. And I don't like to belabor things, but it's a great question, important question. In my book, 60 Questions, you'll find a lot of answers. The whole last section of the book is, is devoted to these kind of questions. So thanks. If you need more clarity, feel free to reach out again. All right. Um, I've, I've got time for another call before I bring my guest on. Alex in Bergenfield, New Jersey, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, thank you for having me, Dr. Brown. Uh, pleasure uh, talking to you, and I just want to thank you for um, to God for what you do for uh, the body of Christ. Um, question uh, that I have regarding, uh, I'm a born-again believer um, here in the New York City area. Um, obviously, I'm sure you know that this is a highly populated Jewish uh, communities yep. uh, in Teaneck and in uh, uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, tell you what, I just got to uh, interrupt, only because of time, if you could just Ask the question. This way I can answer before I have to bring a guest on. I, I hate to be rude and interrupt, but let's just go for the question. Yes, you're, you're among a lot of Jews who don't believe. All clear. Go ahead. Right. So um, Zechariah 1210, um, you know the verse, uh, you, they will look on me whom you pierce. Yeah. Um, Jews have brought up the, because I, I do try to win Jews and evangelize. They brought it up. It says, no, it says that they will look on them whom they pierce. So they no, take that, out that, the knee. no, no, no. That that's here's here's here right. They're trying to argue that it means because the Hebrew. No, no one debates that the Hebrew says for he be to a lie. They will look to me. No, no one's debating that part. But their understanding of he be to a lie to shed the They will look to me 
the one they have pierced. They're saying it means they will look to me on account of those who have been pierced, mainly, namely those dying in the last great war, Vesav Dualov, and mourn over him, meaning over them. But the problem is, it's not what the, the Hebrew says. You could potentially read it like that, but it's not the most natural reading. So when you sit with them, ask him. When it says they, it keeps saying they. Vehibitu, who is the they? They will look. At, to whom? To me. They, who pierce? They. And they will mourn. Vesafdu. So hibitu, dekaru, safdu. You have three verbs, all in third person plural. Ask them, who's the they? Just, just press that a little. Who is the they? And they will look to me on account of the one they have pierced and they will mourn. Same they in all cases. Press that. I bet some eyes are going to be open. The three third person plural. They, they, they. Who is it? Same they. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday on the Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. Yes, it's true. Not just paranoia. It's true. Anti-Semitism is rising right here in America. Violent acts against Jewish people are on the rise right here in America. It's true. It's not being exaggerated. It's not just the result of paranoia. And of course, anything Israel does, well, Jews all around the world will now be painted in the worst light and will be scapegoated. There are courageous voices, Christian voices, Gentile voices, exposing this, standing against this, revealing anti-Semitism in our nation's media and press. And one of those gentlemen is Dexter Van Zyl. Officially, Shulman Research Fellow with the Committee for Accuracy in Middle East Reporting and Analysis. That's CAMERA. He's been working for CAMERA since 2006. He's written extensively about how Christian churches and parachurch organizations have responded to the Arab-Israeli conflict and specializes in on-the-scene coverage of anti-Israel events. Dexter, I'm going to put up some video footage. As you're speaking, folks that are watching will be seeing the video footage, but I I want you to to tell our listeners and to tell our viewers what recently happened to you, how you got right in the middle of anti-Semitism, ugly hate speech right here in America. So we'll put this video footage up just, just to watch and then go ahead, Dexter. Welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's so good to be here. Uh, what happened was is that uh, on June 24th of, uh, it was, I think it was a Thursday, uh, I attended an anti-Israel rally that was organized by the Students for Justice in Palestine uh, at uh, UMass Boston. They had been publicizing the event for, you know, maybe 10 days or a week, and so uh me and two of my colleagues at Cameron decided to attend the rally. We brought our iPhones. We really didn't expect anything big to happen. Uh, and I brought a pen and a notepad to basically just document what they had written. And uh, what happened was is that uh, they, the interesting thing about this rally was is that they 
instead of actually just going to the Israeli consulate to complain about uh, Israeli misdeeds, what they did was they decided that they were going to go to the ADL and the JCRC, the Jewish Community Relations Council in Boston. And what that meant was is that it was like they're not just angry about Israeli policies. What they're angry at is a Jewish uh, participation in, a, in public life here in the United States. And so essentially what they did was they told a story about how the Israelis are teaching uh, American police officers to kill uh, black people and people of color on, on the streets of the United States and mm. that the JCRC was bringing... Uh, uh, lawmakers over to Israel to brainwash them to basically, as part of an investment in the uh, the infrastructure of white supremacism here in the United States. Yeah, and, and, so, and let me just say this, for those who aren't watching, I mean, you, you've got a pretty hostile crowd standing around you. It, it, it could have gotten very dangerous and, and ugly. And, you're, you know, you're just standing there. You don't have all kinds of protection right, around you right. and things like that. So it, it's a pretty intense situation you're in for for those that are just listening is is pretty pretty heavy i mean you're talking about very calmly but that that must have been a bit scary it was really scary and what happened was is that i had covered this type of event last july and one of the speakers complained this year about my writings he said that you know what happened was is that they were targeted with baseless propaganda uh by and pro-genocide propaganda by spies who were in the audience so I went up to uh, this person by the uh, by the name of Nino Brown, and I said and introduced myself. I said, "Yeah, this is I'm Dexter Van Zyl. He gave me a flyer. We shook hands, and then once they got to the ADL, he called me out and basically incited the cr- crowd to chant Zionists go home' at me, yeah, and and scream at me. And one of the kids that was involved was basically dressed like Antifa. He tried to take my pen away from me, he, and, and, I, and, I, and basically what happened was I found myself surrounded by these folks, and they were screaming and yelling at me uh, and saying words that you cannot say on radio. You cannot say them, okay? And, and I, by, by the way, friends, that's why we just played video without, without right. the audio. Right. Right, the audio. And so, but, unbe- you know, the, the interesting thing was is that I had – all I was doing is just taking note. And if you, if you look at all the video that we, we gathered, I just, I'm just standing there taking notes, and this kid from Antifa is harassing me, and then, then things really go south, and they start screaming at me. And, uh, and, you know, and it lasted for about seven minutes, and it was probably the worst and longest seven minutes of my life. And it was profoundly disturbing because I didn't even, and I am pretty hardened to this type of stuff. You know, I, I, this is what I observe. I've been doing this for a long time. And just the level of hatred was just off the charts. And at one point they said, okay, we're going to move on and we're going to walk. We need the sidewalk. So I, I agreed to kind of step out of the way. And when I turned my back, that was one of the... Uh, crowd organizers, the rally organizers, who was wearing a yellow vest. That was when he pushed me, and and, and I, you know, and I was like shocked at that. I was like, "Whoa!" I decided to give ground and yield to you guys to get out of your way, not to run away. And, and now, all of a sudden, that's when you decide to shove me when my back is to you. And uh, that was a shock. And there was one young girl that was spitting at me. 
and uh, and and at when, then eventually the crowd just moved on, and me and my colleagues we just looked at each other, and I just looked at them. I said, "Did you get it on video?" And they said, "Yeah." And I said, "Okay, well then we're good." And one of the the people in the crowd who was wearing a keeper, but we don't really know whether or not he was a Jew or not, you know, because it was street theater. He was saying, you know, one Zionist is not enough. They will use this against us. And one thing I want to emphasize is that there were two people in that rally that stood alongside me and said, he didn't do anything wrong, leave him alone. And they took the side of, you know, for lack of a better word, the scapegoat. You know, and that was really what was happening was, and, I, and I've been thinking a lot about this because it was a terrifying moment. Essentially, these people are tormented, unhappy people who just, you know, are using Israel and the Jewish people as a scapegoat for the failures in their own lives. Uh, and essentially that was, and they basically decided to use me as the scapegoat for about seven minutes. And then they went on and screamed uh, at the JCRC, Jewish Community Relations Council. But we didn't follow them there. We posted the video, and the the, the response has been actually kind of, uh, frankly, heartwarming on one hand, because I think people now are starting to realize there's a problem, because we have a whole generation of people, and I don't want to exaggerate the problem, but there is a significant number of people that are now essentially using anti-Semitism and hostility towards Israel uh, as a way to promote disorder uh, and undermine the legitimacy, not just of Israel, but of uh, the American government, uh, the American republic. And what they're doing is, is they're demonstrating to people they want to drive Jews from the public square, they want to drive them from public life, and because they... Uh, have become the symbol of uh, white supremacism uh, and all of the evils of uh, American society. And it's, a, it's, a, and it's the same thing, you know, you saw this with E. Michael Jones, and he was coming technically from the right, uh, and these people are coming from the left, and they're doing the same thing. Yep. They, they, they blame the Jews for the great problems of the day, and... Uh, and it's going to be up to the rest of us to decide whether or not they get away with it. Yeah, it's, it's that simple. If we don't speak up, they get away with it. And friends, if you've never visited camera.org, go ahead and do it. No, it's, it's not about taking pictures. Again, it is the committee that is standing for accurate reporting in the Middle East. Camera, just like the word, .org. Go there on a regular basis. It'll help keep you feeling sane. Because you'll, you'll say, oh, okay, here's someone speaking up. But it's going to expose a lot of myths that it could be coming from the New York Times or your children's textbook. And often, because of the work cameras done for so many years and careful documentation, the Times will then fix the thing. Or the, or the textbook in the next printing will fix it. But often the damage has been done. Often the errors on the front page and the corrections on the last page, so to say. Uh, Dexter, we've just got a couple of minutes, but... Do you see in front of your eyes, because you've been documenting this for years, that there genuinely is a rising tide of anti-Semitism and that there are more violent acts against Jews? You heard me say that at the outset, but is that your assessment as well? Yes. Yeah, that's that's what's going on. And I, you know, when I started out doing this in 2005, 
when I started working for the David Project, I would say, look, this BDS campaign isn't an attempt to get schools or colleges to divest. It's just an, uh, an excuse to get in front of the microphone and scream about how evil Israel is and to mm-hmm. marginalize Jews in American society. And the campaign has worked. And, uh, and the thing is, is that I think that it's starting to cause some people, even in the evangelical community, to kind of distance themselves from Israel, uh, largely because they just don't want to be on the receiving end of that opprobrium or that contempt. Yeah, and a lot of them, they're lacking the theological, biblical foundations. It's not just a default thing, the horrors of the Holocaust, the miraculous uh, restoration of the state of Israel, things like that, so they haven't... They don't remember those things. They don't have the theological foundations. And then Israel's painted as the big bad bully, and we have to stand for social justice and stand for the underdog. Therefore, we we now hate Israel, demonize Israel, and make the Palestinians into heroes, whereas the right response should be, we want justice and fairness for everyone in the Middle East. Let's work towards that, and let's be realistic in our assessment. So it's a dangerous time. And obviously prayer is important, but education is very important. So friends, go to camera. Org. Again, go there, go there on a regular basis, sign up to get updates. It, it'll be really, really helpful. And I, I got this right over here. New book, Dexter. Thanks for sending it to me. The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti-Semitism and What Can Be Done to Stop It. It's a collection of essays and stories and edited by Aaron David Frew, The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti-Semitism. Hey, Derek. There are more with you than against you. God's with you most of all. Camera.org. Thanks for your courage. Thanks for coming on. One more time. Camera.org. Thank you. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome to Clearly Jewish Thursday. Michael Brown here. Okay. Quick summary of some of the attacks on Jewish people in recent months in America. Robert Spencer wrote an important article after a Chabad rabbi, so ultra-Orthodox rabbi, serving in the Boston area. Just look at this picture for those watching. He was stabbed eight times. Uh, 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 an Egyptian, I believe it was an Egyptian here in America, I think overstaying a visa, uh, tried to kill him. He ran, tried to get away from a, a, a children's school they had. And then the guy kept pursuing him, stabbed him uh, eight different times. He's recovering. He's doing well. He said, hey, it's a miracle. He should have been dead. But Robert Spencer, writing an article in PJ Media, says this. Around the time of the recent conflict between Hamas and Israel, Palestinian Muslims and their supporters committed acts of violence against Jews and supporters of Israel all over the United States. In New York City, a Muslim mob screaming Allahu Akbar attacked a Jewish man in midtown Manhattan. Also in Manhattan, Palestinians threatened violence and screamed anti-Semitic slurs at Jews. One threw a mini firebomb. Pro-Jihad protesters stormed a restaurant and spat on Jewish patriots. One of the thugs threw a bottle. A Muslim, Wasim Awade, was arrested for viciously beating a Jew in Times Square. In Los Angeles, Palestinian protesters asked people dining at the 
Sushi Fumi restaurant if they were Jewish and proceeded to attack them with knives. Elsewhere in Los Angeles, two cars festooned with Palestinian flags chased a Jewish man down a street as he was leaving the synagogue. In Florida, a van also bearing a Palestinian flag and emblazoned with the slogan, Hitler was right, drove past a pro-Israel uh, uh, demonstration. In Skokie, Illinois, a pro-Jihad vandal wearing an Arab headdress smashed a synagogue window and left a Palestinian flag and pro-Jihad sign inside. Was Khaled Awad moved by the same rage and hatred of the state of Israel to stab Shlomo Naginsky? Yeah, that's, that's a disturbing summary. Happening right here in America. We are not just being like Chicken Little saying the sky's falling. We're warning about the rising tide of anti-Semitism in America. What do you do? Educate people with the truth. Combat the hate with love. Combat the lies with truth. That's what you do. And you work together for the best interests of all in the Middle East, and you refuse to allow Jews or Israel to be scapegoated. Okay. I promised you a wonderful testimony. Greg, thanks for sending this in to us a couple of weeks ago. I've been wanting to read it on a Thursday, printed it out to read. So here we go. Listen and enjoy. I remember people warning me about marrying a Jewish woman and being a Christian man. Brutalized by our addictions, we sought 12-step help and knew it was God who saved us. It was a strong bond. However, the ensuing years only served to emphasize what a vast chasm separated us when it came to our faiths. It was further exacerbated when we had children. What are we? was their unspoken and eventually spoken question. When the Reformed synagogue would not bar mitzvah for our oldest and Orthodox Chabad would, the chasm only widened. I remember one time she posited, the Bible speaks of a messianic age with peace in the world and the lion, da- lion lying down with the lamb, right? I agreed. Well, do you see that age now? No, I answered. Well, then Jesus can't be the Messiah, she concluded. I had no answers. It was a very dark time. He says, I was reading a lot of apologetics at the time, and uh, it was while reading The Case for the Real Jesus that I met Dr. Michael Brown in 2007 or so. In any case, I ordered the first three volumes immediately. That's my five-volume series, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. I believe they were the only ones available at that time. I remember distinctly when they arrived hiding them for fear of causing a confrontation. And I also remember very distinctly after my wife had gone to sleep, cracking open the first volume and reading the objection, Jews don't believe in Jesus. I wept, literally. Someone understood. I wasn't alone anymore. This began a real friendship for the lack of any better way to say it. I soon found the Counter in the Counter Missionary series then on download MP3 files, and I must have listened to them a dozen times each. I was gaining confidence from his teaching that they were real answers. Disc 12, The Nature of God, was an epiphany in my life. It changed everything. It really was one of those watershed moments. I ran to our believing daughter and our younger son with this news. I remember them saying, do people know about this? One thing of paramount importance is trust. I remember hearing his testimony, speaking of me. I listened to the part where he had come to faith and his father took him to the Orthodox rabbis and he was being challenged by them. He came home and prayed, paraphrasing, Father, I know I've had an experience of you, but I just want to follow you. And if that means being rejected by my own people or being considered a backslider by Christians, I just want your will. Wow, what a prayer. And Dr. Brown has continued to act in a trustworthy manner. In the recent election, I read his book on Trump, trying to keep an open mind and knowing I could trust this person with whom I've had this friendship over the years. He did not let me down. As usual, I found his points to be lucid, kind, and thought-provoking, but not overbearing. 
I cannot end without mentioning one final aspect of his effect on our lives. When Liat, his wife, came to faith, she wouldn't trust any Gentile teaching. So I got to introduce her to my friend as the trustworthy source of knowledge in her new faith. She was even phoned in to his radio show. Well, I hope this snippet is not too much. I could easily write a book just on how Dr. Brown has influenced and guided and been a comfort in our lives. Well, that is, that is priceless. I remember Liat calling. I remember her sharing some of her testimony. I remember asking to get the rest of the testimony. Greg, that was not too much at all. And how gracious and kind of you. See, when I came to faith in 1971 and shortly thereafter was challenged by the rabbis, you know, what my dad said is, you know, Michael, glad to see the change in your life. You're, you're off drugs and all that. That's, that's wonderful. But we're Jews. We don't believe this. So, you know, it was, it was conflict from day one and challenge. He brought me to meet the local rabbi and the local rabbi challenged me. Give me a book on anti-Semitism in, in church history and brought me to meet other rabbis and they could read Hebrew and I couldn't. And how could I tell them what to believe? And so I, I started to look for answers. Because I said, well, I, I believe, you know, I've been changed. I believe this is real. And you're attacking what I believe. And you've got questions. And well, my church and pastor, I mean, they weren't equipped for that. And I, I, went, I remember meeting with Jews for Jesus in New York City. And they were great evangelists. They had these really cool tracks and all that. But the folks I talked to were evangelists. They weren't apologists. They, they weren't versed in these things. And when I finally found out about Christian scholars who believed the way I believed, and they had no sensitivity to the Jewish objections. So I just had to dig and study, read the rabbinic objections and, and learn Hebrew and the other related languages and get on my face before God and agonize and say, God, I, just, I want your truth. If, have you ever had your faith tested? It's painful. It's intense. It's jarring. What if everything you believe is false? And so it was, it was really challenging. And I, I went through some, some real times of questioning. But that this caused me to dig deeper and study more and cry out more, not for answers, but for truth, for truth, wherever it'll lead. And then as I got more and more answers and began to recognize, hey, God's equipping me to equip others. Boy, I recognize he's raising me up to serve others here. And then I began to recognize, well, yeah, it works. You know, I've got raised by a, a, a father who's a lawyer in the New York Supreme Court, you know, challenged to, to think through things by my dad you know, got the educational background now and tons of interaction with rabbis. I could see this as part of my calling. And I felt I do not want another Jewish person to have to go through what I went through. I do not want them to go through the doubts, the questions, the pain, the challenges. And is this real? And is Jesus really the Messiah? And the New Testament writers misinterpret the old or not? Or did they butcher the Hebrew or not? Or what, how do we respond to anti-Semitism in church history? I didn't want them to have to go through what I went through and not having someone to go to. And that's the first reason I started putting out the materials and doing the debates with rabbis and, and then putting out a tape series on answering Jewish objections and then beginning to write five volumes ultimately of answering Jewish objections to Jesus. And then the many debates since then and the further books since then, the Real Coast for Jesus and Resurrection and other books. And my first reason for doing it was not to reach those who didn't believe, but to strengthen those who did. This is all to God's glory. Any good thing that's come of this is to God's glory. I'm a worthless wretch outside of his grace and goodness. But hear me, friends, I have met many Jewish people, Jewish believers around the world, who've said to me, 
I'm still in the faith because of you. Now it's because of God, I understand. In other words, he used these materials, these answers to the rabbis. He used them when they were going through hard times or when they were just, sir, I've got to know the truth. And they were searching and they found the answers and they tested them and they found them to be solid. I remember speaking to an older Jewish couple in Phoenix, Arizona, right before I was about to debate a famous rabbi in 1995. Their daughter was a believer. They were right on the edge of coming to faith. And they said, what should we do? I said, go to the debate. Rather than leading them to the Lord to prayer right then, I said, go to the debate. I want you to hear both sides. Oh, I'm so sure of the truth of the gospel. And sure enough, they came to faith. They put their faith in Jesus the Messiah after that. So I'm thankful to God. And yes, I I secondly wrote the books and did the debates to reach Jews who don't believe. And I love those testimonies are even more amazing. When I meet a Jewish person said, I came to faith through that debate you did. I came to faith through reading this book. That blows me away. And now, by God's grace, we have Real Kosher Jesus just coming out. It's just been printed in Hebrew. There are many delays, difficulties with translation, and then COVID set us back a year, and uh, uh, it's been a long process. So all of you who gave to help make that possible, thank you. We'll be shooting out an email to everyone that sent a contribution towards that with a picture of the book letting you know what's happened. Thank you for that. Everyone who prays for us, Thank you. There is fruit that's being born. And friends, if you want to help us reach more Jewish people with the good news, today's a great day to do it. Go to askdrbrown.org. Click on Donate. Together, friends, we are reaching Jewish people with the good news. Your gifts, your prayers are making a difference in Israel and the Jewish world, literally around the globe. Another program powered by the Truth Network.